Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell. So this is your one of your hosts, Mark. I'm also joined by Steve and Eric. You'll hear from them in one hot minute. But in a New York minute, we also have a fourth person today. It's fantastic. Yes, our special guest is Robert. He's an old friend of mine. We had uh, previous friends that begat our friendship when we met in San Francisco that dated back to even some folks I went to high school with. And uh, Rob and I became fast friends. The kind of friendship that you have when you discover that another man is a true True metalhead. He speaks the language. He understands the secret arts. And uh, we have that bond. We lived together for a little bit. Then he moved away. Then I moved away. And uh, we've kept in touch this entire time. When I think of Black Sabbath, when I think of riffs, when I think of Heaven and Hell in particular, this album, a very special moment we had once. Nothing, uh, Nothing intimate. Maybe something more. But I think of Rob. And Rob, thank you for joining us. How are you tonight? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was quite the intro. thing about Rob that uh, I noticed when we were on cameras briefly is uh, he was going sleeveless as well. So um, he's definitely dressed for uh, appropriately for tonight's uh, subject matter. And I'm sure Stephen, I don't think he has any sleeves on any of his shirts. So um, this hey, look is at us, Look at us, Mark. A couple of soft arms over here, right? Oh, for sure. I know. With sleeves going down to our elbows. God damn. Just a tyranny, bunch of posers. The tyranny of sleeves long ago is uh, <laughs> rejected from my home. Uh, many, yeah, many in our late 20s, uh, Rob and I, every Sunday, probably go lay at some fucking park somewhere. Get the scissors uh, out. Yeah, it's the, exactly. Just take all the sleeves off our shirts and then go buy some burritos. It was good times. Oh, yeah. Rob, Rob, these days you live in Portland with your family, and uh, what you, you've got yourself a bonafide career of some sort. What do you do? I'm a graphic designer, creative director. I love branding, so that's my things. Make new brands, evolve brands, stuff like that. That's great. What we do here before we get into yakking about our uh, track by track, uh, our album pick, that rather. We talk about what's in the news. We talk about some of our uh, Bowie bulletins and... Uh, anything that's going through the old stock ticker tape. Um, I do believe that I don't know who's uh, taking charge of this segment, but I always think that it's either Steve or Eric because it ain't me. So what's in the news wire? All right. We got we got two things here. Got two things. Uh, one is uh, goes back to season one and one is uh, news related to tonight in a way. But uh Eric, what happened with the Nine Inch Nails? They did something. Yes, Nine Inch News, ticker tape, falling out of the machine. They played in France at Hellfest. And for Eric heads out there, the Hellfest lineup was out of control. 
absolutely out of control. I mean, in addition to having the Nine Inch Nails, of course, you also had, uh, you know, Killing Joke, you had Ministry, you had Youth Code, and you had Health. And um, you always hope this would happen, and it rarely does, but uh, during Nine Inch Nails' set, Health came out, and they performed their song, Isn't Everyone, their collab off of uh, Health's um, uh, Disco 4. And uh, it was rad. And there's a little there's a little clip of it online. I don't know if the whole performance was filmed that we'll get to see at a later time. But it sounded great. So there you go. Yeah, that was just one one day on one stage of Hellfest. But there's seven days across five stages. It's got every it's got every kind of music you'd want there. You got you got Black Label Society, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Megadeth, Social Distortion. Suicidal Tendencies, Electric Wizard, a friend of the show, the Devin Townsend, uh, doing doing songs by request. Orange Goblin, The Exploited. Uh, a lot of a lot of Jewish Priest. Look at that, a lot of stuff at that old Hellfest. Yeah, I mean, good thing that it was in France because if it was here in the United States of America, the Supreme Court likely would have made it illegal because of the word hell in the festival. Can't have that it, in this country. It's Heckfest or it's not happening. <laughs> what about Heavenfest? Would it, would it hurt for you guys to have a Heavenfest? You know what, on, on uh, the day before Nine Inch Nails, a band played. It's a band I talked about earlier this week because for a work meeting, I was talking to some German uh, transplants. And when the, the, the we had lunch together and when the lunch was done, I was like, hey, I'll be thinking about you guys. I've known these guys for years, but I was like, I'm going to go see Rammstein with my kid in September. And they, they laughed and they're like, oh, they're about 15 years older than me. They're like, oh, Rammstein, that's that's crazy stuff. That's yeah, great. But Steve, when it comes to German music, I mean, have you heard of the Scorpions? And I was like, oh, have I? <laughs> I love the Scorps. And so uh, we talked about the Scorpions for a minute. And of, Scorp- uh, probably Scorp- ended in you guys all doing a chorus of Winds of Change. I can you just picture it. It did. It yeah. did end with like the guy at the next table who was like some sixty-seven-year-olds eating by himself. Just started talking about like the guitar work of Michael Schachner and the da da da, like eavesdropping. It was uh, quite hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, CIA wrote that song. I'm just saying. That's that's right. That's the CIA. It was a psyop. The wind. The winds of change. That's right. And uh, on June twenty-third, you could have saw the Scorpions with White Snake and UFO. Well, that's a bill. And uh. On the main stage there. I, I like that the Scorpions, White Snake, and UFO, UFO are on the same stage the next day was Nine Inch Nails Ministry and Nitzareb. So the other the other news the other news is that uh he didn't sing on tonight's album, but we'll talk about him a little bit in uh, cr- contrasts and comparisons. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne released a new song this week called uh, Patient Number Nine. Thank you. 
any of you listen to it? It's womp womp, dude. I did not listen to it uh, with uh, Jeff Beck on guitar. I looked at the track listing. It looks, I'm surprised he couldn't get Clapton as well. He did uh, get Clapton. Oh, boy. What? <laughs> Clapton oh. is on that record. He did get Clapton. Wow. Jesus. Really yeah. Yeah. Let's it's read very, the lyrics very, here. Yeah. <laughs> very, I, I liked I liked his last album, even though it sounded very overproduced. And this is this is very, very. It's not good. It sounds uh, terrible. Extremely, <laughs> extremely. Can you extremely say it's terrible, please. Yeah, it's it's not good. Yeah, Ozzy is definitely Ozzy. Ozzy by numbers on that song. I, I listened to it and uh, and promptly forgot it. You'll hear more about the Aussie by numbers phenomenon in the uh, the next episode where we're going to take about three hours to dig through every goddamn band related to Black Sabbath. It's going to take a while. Oh, boy. But but not tonight. Tonight, we're just going to talk about that good old album, Heaven and Hell. Letter from the Editor. The song Patient Number 9 by Ozzy Osbourne has grown on me since this recording. I'm not creating yeah. any videos, and if I do, like it will all be podcast related. Trust me, uh, we got to monetize this thing before yeah. the Supreme Court comes and makes podcasting illegal. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, you got you got to talk about the uh, the exact correct topics and uh, any 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 talk that's dissension from uh, you know going back to the Stone Ages will be blacklisted. You have to submit your uh, podcast to Clarence Thomas for approval before it actually there gets is, published. There is not enough misogyny on your podcast. 17 alpha credits. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, really, really, really boring version of Minority Report. Ugh. It's pretty great. We're chuckling about all of the, the pain and anguish and fear that women across this country are having to deal with. But uh, yeah, I am fucking pissed and I'm laughing through the fucking pain right now. Um, but yeah. It's, it's good to escape from the hellscape that our country is turning into. So let's talk about heaven and hell now. <laughs> Black Sabbath, classic band. We all know about Black Sabbath, but everybody's got to start somewhere. So, Eric, what's your history with Black Sabbath? My history as Beavis and Butthead. I'll be honest with you. I, I, uh, uh, it wasn't part of my parents' my music. My parents were, I guess, uh, my dad was more of the psychedelic rock fan, uh, so there wasn't a lot of heavy metal records to listen to. Um, uh, so, I mean, but, you know, if I wanted to, to zone out to Surrealistic Pillow, that was available. Uh, but yeah, no, so that wasn't around. Um, but of course, like there was a thing in the nineties, right? Where 
just like rock culture was very cool and like heavy metal culture was very cool. And even if I didn't know a lot about it, I was intrigued by it. And I definitely like when Beavis and Butthead came out, I seem to remember uh, them doing their da, 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 their, their Iron Man thing. And, and I was like, well, if it's good enough for B&B, they must be pretty good. Um, so I, you know, I dabbled, you know, a little bit, but not, not, not very much. Um, and I do remember on MTV uh, seeing the, some of the Ozzy Osbourne solo videos and hoping for them to be better than they were. Uh, those, did not, those did not strike me at the time. Some of those I appreciate way more now. But um, you, didn't get, you didn't get the, uh, the Benny Hillness of it all at the time. <laughs> I didn't. At the time, I didn't. At the time, I didn't. Also, I cringed at the, like, the David Lee Roth uh, solo like California Girls and Hot for Teacher songs too, which now I find endlessly entertaining. So it just goes to show uh, time and a place. Um, so I mean, really, Steve, I credit you with uh, showing me some more in our times growing up, but specifically, uh, you know, Dio and um, like indoctrinating me with a pre- appreciation for Dio um, that cul- culminated in us seeing him live in concert. And so um, the, all of the Sabbath Dio stuff you showed me, um, you know, I definitely always liked and I kept a few of those songs kind of on my playlist over the years. But this really was the first time I dived into all their records and the first time I really gave this entire record a spin. Yes, that, uh, that Dio Motorhead Iron Maiden show we went to at Marysville was great. And also in the audience that day was our other guest, Rob. Rob, where did uh, where did you start with Black Sabbath? You know, with like with Sabbath, there's so many good albums. But like, I remember my mom had uh, Deep Purple Machine Head on uh, vinyl, and I was in like third grade, and I heard Smoke in the Water, and my cousin had come around and been like, "Oh no, you got to hear this," and he put on um, uh, Paranoid, and I was just like, "It's like someone shook my head," and then I think from there on, it was just like record after record. But then there was points, I think, like, I don't know, between s- skating culture and, and different minutes, because, you know, each album has like a different life. Yeah, they're kind of the, the be all and the end all. It all started with them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the, the genre of metal and then especially the doomer, sl- slower stuff starts with them. But even just hard rock in general. I mean, it, it's inescapable when the 80s hit and they, they got Dio and then Ozzy split off. And then Dio became his own thing. Uh, they were all influencing uh, pop hard rock in many ways. And it just uh, echoed. You call it, you, you'd call it pop? I mean, like, yeah, like, because Dio no, definitely not pop does. music, but like, think about it. Dio, like, uh, Rainbow, the Holy Diver, really big yeah. time, uh, have, big selling album. That genre of the, uh, uh, of, of the uh, singer with a lot of personality with an awesome guitar player next to him. Dio was doing that. Ozzy was doing that and to, to lesser degrees uh, bands that, you know, your Motley Cruz and whatever that were not nearly as good. They took a lot of influence from it. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. No, but the thing about like Ozzy and, and Dio, like you couldn't have too far, like spectrums of voices like Dio, like talk about like fucking ballads. And then like Ozzy's got this very distinct, amazing voice, which we all know. And like is ingrained in your skull for Sabbath. But like, and it's just sketchy and, and more rascally, but like, I mean, Dio, like I was talking to my wife about this and like uh, coming on and chatting with you guys, but 
like the Heaven and Hell album, you're just like, I don't know any other singer that could have done that. Then it would have been acceptable. But like, yeah, now maybe maybe Rob Halford, but he would have been too high pitched. Yeah, so, but I, I don't think, and I, yeah, yeah, way too high pitched. But like like Dio, just like those ballads and like and. Ah, man, I mean, fuck, the guy coined the devil horns. I mean, like, it's just so perfect, right? Like, it's like it was just supposed to happen. Like, some weird stars in some black magic realm just kind of aligned. What I like about Dio and Ozzy both is Dio, and this, probably I should talk more about it later, but you, you did bring it up. I'll say one thing. They are totally different, but they're both extremely sincere about what they do. And I love that. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, and that's, I mean, Ozzy's charisma is what kind of carries him through half the time. It's like impossible not to love the guy. He's just so like, what you see is what you get. And he's having a great time. Yeah. But yeah. Mark, speaking of having a great time, when did your great time start with Black Sabbath? Uh, I think I was a wee lad in just my little short pants holding my big lollipop, um, listening to Paranoid. My dad actually had that record on vinyl, and he would play it every now and then. It wasn't something that we'd bring out for easy listening while we're having our London broil or anything like that uh, dinner time. But uh, listening to War Pigs, listening to uh, the title track, of course, Iron Man, uh, fairies wear boots. I mean, that whole record is just uh, fantastic. It's an absolute classic. And the fact that, you know, come to find out that it was only recorded three months or so after their debut album, which is also pretty damn good. Um, for me, Black Sabbath was always uh, the Aussie years. You know, I never um, in high school when I really started to get more into music and exploring kind of the early origins of metal. A uh, guy that I've talked about, my sister's ex-boyfriend at the time, uh, was really introducing me to a lot of music at that point. And whether it be Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, and Black Sabbath, kind of the bands that were known to be the godfathers of metal, uh, I definitely probably, uh, yeah, no, definitely was more attracted to Black Sabbath. Um, but he never really showed me the Dio years. He'd never... Uh, once like Ozzy deviated and went solo or was essentially fired from the band. Um, that's where I started more picking up on his solo stuff, you know, listening to diary of a madman, blizzard of Oz, of course, no more tears. I was, I remember when osmosis came out and I, uh, uh, five fingered that discount from one of the old record stores. And, uh, yeah, that was, you know, what, you, you know, Mark, if you, uh, if they would have caught you, and then you went to court. Hopefully they could have got a hold of Perry Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Song's great. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, like Ozzy, well, Black Sabbath, uh, they kind of, I, I didn't really listen to anything from the, like Heaven and Hell. Um, for me, Black Sabbath, uh, actually listening to more of their records. And like I said at the top, I didn't listen to their entire discography, but if there's any band that, uh, could carry the moniker of being a ship of thesis, uh, you know, where is it truly the ship of thesis if every plank on that ship has been replaced with another, you know, I, this is that band. I mean, they've gone through 
I mean, Tony Iommi is essentially the only, like, he's the son in this band. Like, everything else orbits around him. And uh, their song, their sound changes uh, pretty significantly. And it, it gets updated through the times. But it, uh, I would say that some in their later work, they definitely start to uh, try to sound like what's successful at the time. Like your Motley Crue's, your uh, Great White's. Um, and that's not really my jam. Uh, kind of, I, I like to call that kind of music like sunset strip rock. And yeah, that's what it, the, the, yeah, those years, I would, I would call those the weird Sabbath years when you got, yeah, we'll talk more about it in the next episode where I have a fucking, I have like a scroll with everybody that's been ever in this band. And, uh, I started going into it last night with Eric before we had to abort. And, uh, <laughs> it's just ridiculous how many people were in this band. But it's uh, I mean, yeah. singers, singers alone. You had two guys that you were Deep Purple, and then you've got uh, you got Tony Martin, and Dio, and Ozzy, and I'm forgetting one other guy. And uh, yeah, those those late '80s years, the, the that Sunset Strip music, it's definitely it's it, it's hit and miss. There's some good stuff in there, but you got to look for it hard, and yeah. it's hard to find because uh, it's not on the streams. You go, go to your use sections, but. Uh, when it comes to the Dio albums or the Ozzy albums, I, they're all quality for the most part. Yeah, and um, I'm going to just go ahead and lay it on on record. Uh, and I'm going to get thrown eggs and tomatoes, but I'm not a Dio guy. I think that he's so important for the genre of metal. Um, you know, he's obviously, uh, like Rob said, he brought up forth the devil horns or the evil eye, uh, as I, he called it. And um, yeah, I mean, people love Dio. But I think he's kind of like a cross between like Freddie Mercury and uh, and Ozzy. And I, I like kind of the more working class kind of uh, approach. I mean, I will say this. Dio has uh, he's a much better vocalist. He has way better range than Ozzy. But uh, yeah, I, I, I like Ozzy, even though he's so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> eh, there's nothing wrong with that. I think you might, you know, you might. You haven't heard it all. I'm not going to tell you. you got to go listen to it all to make your opinion. That's, uh, yeah. that's fine. But yeah. I, I also, you know, I think you're giving Dio a little bit of a short shrift because I, I you, you probably have decades of hearing Ozzy songs and the extent of your Dio knowledge is now this album and uh, his very popular early 80s albums. Yeah, and, I've uh, listened to it. Last in Line and uh, uh, what was his debut record? Holy Diver, it's classic. Holy Diver, yeah. I've listened to both of those, and they're not bad. Um, I, I think I like Holy Diver a little bit more than Last in Line. Um, but uh, I used to be just like in your seat of being like, I like it grimy. and like Because if you look at those early yeah. years of Sabbath, it's pure, just bliss. It's like, it's it obviously, like where they lived and where they recorded, like echoes the sound. But like, Dio was hard for me to first fathom. But like, when you... Like when you see him live and then when you listen to some of like even Heaven and Hell and Holy Diver, you're just it it's strange because you get this weird feeling of being like, wait, I love this griminess, but like how is this guy like echoing these ballads? Like mm-hmm. next like Tony Iommi and like some of those solos or like geezer and like you're just like, What is this? And it's just like it it transforms it into another level of Sabbath. Like it's not the Sabbath of, you know, uh, War Pigs, Paranoid, any of that, or even like Master Reality or all those, like great albums. And I don't think Dio could have stepped into that 
And that's why I think heaven and hell is great because it it is something different, right? Like it's where I think where Dio understood, Ronnie James Dio understood is like, he didn't really like try to cover Ozzy's tracks, which I thought was like- Not at all. Yeah, it was like a complete rebirth of a whole new band. If anything, if they decided to call themselves heaven and hell, which sounds like, you know, they eventually did uh, in order to avoid any sort of uh, litigation yeah, from Sharon Osbourne. Exactly. Yes. It was thanks yeah. to Sharon. <laughs> yeah. But I would say, um, Sharon, to your Sharon, point, Robert, Sharon hey, hold on. Sharon, yeah. who is the one that introduced Tony Iommi and uh, Dio. So that's funny. I know. But, uh, right. It all comes back again, but I will say <laughs> it did take me a couple listens to get what was happening with heaven and hell. Um, but as soon as I got it, maybe it, by the time I got to Dehumanizer, Dehumanizer, actually, I, like, I think it's a better record than Heaven and Hell. I think that's it's a stronger record, not to do any spoilers for this one, but I, that one was like, that one had better songwriting. I felt like they were way more comfortable as a foursome yeah. um, on that one. And maybe it was because Bill Ward wasn't really involved with that one. It was all uh, Vinny Apiece, right? Yeah, uh, drumming on that Vinny, one. Vinny's also a mob rules, which I think is uh, on par with heaven and hell. Yeah. So, I think that I think dehumanizer sounds more like what you expect from black Sabbath, but Dio's yes. on it. Yes. That's, that's yeah, the difference. Back. Yes. Even, even that, even that heaven and hell album, Eric, I'll get to you next. Even that heaven and hell album sounds more like old black Sabbath with Dio singing on it. Not, not this heaven and hell album, the album when they call themselves the band heaven and hell. Right. That definitely also is another one that's slower, doomier with Dio on vocals. Eric, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, if we're going to do our, our Dio v. Ozzy thing here, um, I I think we, I might be able to weigh into it more when we do the next episode, but there's a great quote by Tony Iommi where he says that Ozzy would sing along with the riffs. And if you listen to those old songs, he or even the newer songs, he is like matching the guitar riff in his vocals. He's doing exactly the guitar riff, which is, which is great. And it works. And that's why like Iron Man and, and it gets stuck in your head for sure. Um, But Dio sings across the riffs. And like, when you listen to him, he like does his own thing and then drops into like a counter melody and catches up with the music. And it's very artful and, and fun. And it also tightens up the band a lot more. And you, you and I think when Dio is involved, the band kind of forces themselves to be tighter than they than they would have been before. That being said, you can't beat the evil atmosphere of the early Sabbath stuff. But um, I appreciate what Dio brings to it for sure. And 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 his songwriting style appeals to the Dungeons and Dragons nerd that that I guess I have become. Oh yeah, that songwriting style. I mean, he created that songwriting style. Uh, you know, but, but from Rainbow to Black Sabbath to Dio. That's that. That was his thing, among other things. I'll get into some Dio vocal tro- or lyric tropes that I that I like in a minute here. But Mark, it's not heretical. It's just uh, I, I I just when you compare the two of them, I can definitely see how people can be Aussie guys. But also, I mean, well, if Dio clicks with you, I think there's no beating it. I guess I'll put it that way. You can't if Dio is something you like, you'll love it. It's, that's just the way it goes. It just it burrows into your into your psyche, into your heart, and uh, the man. That little five foot two, whatever the fuck he was, that that little guy is a uh, basically a a golden god. Carla from Cheers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, it's true. That's very true. 
anyway, Sabbath for me, I mean, uh, I, I go on about many artists uh, that my dad listened to and I just glommed on to when I was a kid. Pink Floyd, Iron Maiden. Uh, Dio was definitely one of them. My, my dad had a copy of Dio's Live at the, the Spectrum, I think it was. And that was a VHS copy of the tour where he would fight a dragon on stage. I saw it as a kid. I thought it was amazing. This guy is fighting a dragon. I'd uh, I later in life uh, stumble upon that VHS again. But uh, that I actually discovered and heard Dio as a little kid before I remember hearing Black Sabbath. Uh, the, when I really remembered encountering Black Sabbath again was back to my dad. I bought him a copy of Faith No More's The Real Thing on CD for his birthday um, or Father's Day or Christmas or something. I was nine years old. I'm sure that he gave me money to go buy him something. And that's what I bought him because I knew he liked the song uh, Epic off the radio. On that CD was their cover of War Pigs. And that cover is a very good cover of War Pigs. I probably one of the first times that as a little kid, I discovered, you know, what's a cover? Well, that's a band playing a song by another band. Oh, it's amazing. Who's the other band? They're Black Sabbath. Uh, my dad uh, didn't give me, but let me listen to his copy of We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll, which is uh, basically a double uh, greatest hits album. Yeah. I think it's just the Aussie years. And I listened to that thing so much and just the diversity of, I mean, it's Black Sabbath, so yeah, there is a template there, but still, it was peppered with songs like Changes and, you know, uh, uh, Am I Going Insane? It wasn't all just uh, doom and gloom, but I just thought it I thought it was amazing. I thought it was one of the coolest things I heard. I listened to that a lot when I was a teenager. Uh, so yeah, I stumbled down the rabbit hole, getting to metal. I, of course, I love Black Sabbath. It, it, it's, there it is. Uh, in my 20s, at some point, that is when I discovered the Heaven and Hell, the album. And I always knew that Dio sang with uh, Sabbath. My dad actually, ever the contrarian, my dad's a very, very big Dio, Dio Sabbath fan. Uh, what's better it's uh, there's no no question and by the way gene likes live albums better than studio albums that's the weird kind of guy he is uh, i remembered him talking about the album dehumanizer and how great the song i was and uh i got that heaven and hell album in my early 20s and i i heard the song heaven and hell before it's a classic song and we'll talk all about it in a minute but man when i when i when i really discovered that album and listened to it back to back i could not get enough of it it, that, that, that record's been with me ever since. Should we... Uh, the, the history of this album. Black Sabbath was falling apart with the Aussie configuration. Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die. While I find uh, there are some good songs on both albums, everyone pretty much agreed they were middling at best. And uh, Ozzy's drinking and drugs was getting, getting too much for even Black Sabbath, which was kind of incredible because uh, it sounds like all of them were... We're uh, hitting the glass mirror and the bottle a little bit too much. You got uh, Ozzy leaves. They don't know what to do. They already tried recording a new record for about eight months in L.A. Uh, Sharon Eaton introduces Tony to Dio. 
They meet at the Rainbow Room Club, which is funny considering Dio was in the band Rainbow. Rainbow was looking for, or Dio was looking for a gig. Black Sabbath was looking for a singer. They thought about calling themselves something different, but Dio said, why would we throw away all of the goodwill you have in the brand of Black Sabbath? Let's just make a new Black Sabbath. So they got together and they started recording uh, uh, Heaven and Hell, the album. First song they worked on was Children of the Sea, which was left over from the Aussie years. And in one day, they pulled it together and knocked that one out of the park. And uh, they recorded the album Heaven and Hell. It came out in 1980. Yes, yeah. sure. You think I'd, I'd, I would look that up? About 40 years ago. We'll say that. About 40 years ago, that album came out. And uh, it was well received. A few people were like, huh, this isn't the Black Sabbath we expect, but this sa- this band sounds energized. This sounds like something new. Uh, many metal bands of this day cite it as a very influential record. I think the thrash metal movement and the new wave of British heavy metal movement both uh, cite that record as a huge influence. It, it ended up going platinum and ended up becoming the third best selling Black Sabbath album. They put that out. Then they followed up with Mob Rules. Another another great record, in my opinion. Then they were going to put a live album out. And uh, the legend says that Dio was sneaking into the control room and pushing his vocals to the front. And when he was called out on it by somebody, they got in a fight and Dio left and started his own wow. band with uh, Vinny Apice, the, uh, the current Black Sabbath drummer. Black Sabbath went through many other singers. Black Sabbath teamed up with Dio again for Dehumanizer and the, uh, the album where they called themselves Heaven and Hell. And then Ronnie died in 2010, and it was a sad day for all. We'll talk more about the whole ins and outs of the Dio and Black Sabbath discographies in the next episode. But after a short break, would you guys like to join me and talk about the opening track on this album, Neon Nights? Come again, the Neon Knights. And I, lo- I love how this the song just just bursts out of the speakers. And if I was back there listening to this album for the first time, and I'm a Black Sabbath fan used to what I think of when I hear Black Sabbath, I would have fell out of my chair. And uh, it's just this up-tempo rocker. They still play it live uh, to this day. And by this day, I mean when Dio was still uh, alive. It, it was in their set lists uh, for decades to come. Tony Martin would sing it too. Just a, a rip-roaring rockin' track. 
And the visual of these neon knights, I love it. You've got Dio's announcing himself. Dio has his lyrical tropes. And here are the, the here, here's many of the things that Dio goes back to. I mean, I think Dio's a great lyricist, and I think he could write about whatever he wants to write. He's a great storyteller, and he can write his own lyrics, unlike his friend Ozzy, who cannot. But um, he definitely does has he has things he likes to go back to. And the Dio tropes and themes that, that reoccur is uh, definitely, first and foremost, castle shit. Just <laughs> castles, you know, dragons and castles and fair maidens and all that stuff. That's his stuff. Um, mystical, troublesome women. Like, just, you know, there's a lady down there who you better watch out for. He goes back to that a lot. Pharaohs. Pharaohs in Egypt and all that stuff. He's, uh, that's definitely something he's into. Computers being evil. He does not trust technology and he thinks that humans are destroying the earth and he thinks that computers are going to destroy us all. Guess what? He was right. Um, telling stories and tells tales in general, the idea of storytelling. He's very much into that. Uh, metaphors of the duality of man. Uh, see the title track of this album. Uh, the power of rock and the power of what's inside you. Uh, trying to inspire you through the power of rock and roll. Uh, the fool, the fool from the, the cards, the, the tarot. tarot cards. The, yes. The fool. He brings up the fool a lot and rainbows. The guy loves rainbows, but on this one, this is the combination between rainbows, neon colors and uh, castle shit nights. Eric, what do you think of neon nights? Oh yeah. No, you're right. I mean, this blows the gates off the thing. Um, I like they started with something big. Uh, it's got a chugging riff. Um, and roof's already about to pop off before the end of the, the first, uh, first verse. By the second verse, uh, Iomi is shredding along with Dio. And, um, and that's fun. They're back and forth. Um, the song itself is all, it's mythology. You know, uh, it's comparing the struggle of love to the epic feats of mythic heroes, bloodied angels, fast ascending, moving on a never, a never bending light, phantom figures free forever out of the shadows, shining ever bright. We got the fucking way that, he, the, yeah. the way he sings those lines. Oh yeah, that one's about angels descending. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm gonna try not to do this all night. Where I say, could you ever imagine Ozzy Osbourne delivering that? But you can't. Yes. Like the force right. at which he can sing those things is just incredible. Continue. Yes. Yes. No, no. And it's just, it's that, it's that old, uh, feeling. That's that, uh, that, you know, love makes us stronger and this, it, it turns literally turns them into mytho mythological creatures, medieval, uh, myths. Um, and you know, it's powerful. I mean, he's not going to write a love song. He's going to write a love song about somebody turning into Orion or something. So it's, it's, it, yeah, it's great. It's a great opener. And I think he announces himself. He throws his dick on the table. Um, and uh, yeah, there you go. I'm sure that little man carried a big package. Time again to save us from the jackals of the streets. Rob, Neon Knights, how do you feel about the opening track on Heaven and Hell? It's fucking awesome, man. Like, I think, Eric, you, you said it. It's like he comes in swinging. Whether if he has it or not, I mean the guy packs a punch. Like I think it just the speed of, of the album starting so fast and so punchy, so quick sets a tall order, I think. And it was also interesting is like, 
in the eighties when you have all these like hair metal bands, there's this like, I'm not a dungeon and dragons person, but I remember hearing this and hearing the lyrics. I was like, wait, what the fuck is he talking about? But there's moments like the way his voice, like the bloody angels and the crashing and like how he takes it. And you made a good comment earlier. Like his voice is a through line through all the rest of the band. And then this one's a good example of just like, this song I think sets the bar high and to do it like in the beginning of album is pretty ballsy, but they do a really good job. Yeah. And like, like, like uh, the through line, instead of following a riff or just shouting lyrics at you, which, you know, can happen in metal, he kind of does his own thing. And then he drops down and meets the beat in the last measure. And like, he never yeah. forgets where the rhythm is. And it's, it's, it's great. You know, part of that's because uh, when they first started writing this album, uh, Geezer didn't know if he was coming back or not. Geezer was going through a divorce. I mean, they, they, that's why, like, when, when they had to kick Ozzy out, I'm like, man, Ozzy got kicked out, but Geezer was having his own issues. Tony was a notorious cokehead. And then Bill Ward barely knew what day it was. He was so drunk. And it's, you know, it, it almost feels like the, Ozzy got Steven Adler. Steven Adler from Guns N' Roses, their drummer, they kicked out. And they're like, wow, you kicked him out for doing too much drugs? And look at you guys. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's in- because of all that, because they didn't know if Geezer was coming back, uh, Dio can play the bass, and he helped play some bass parts. And so did Jeff Nichols, the keyboard player. And I think that that, that helps him kind of have a tighter fit into some of the song craft and how the vocals mix with the melodies on uh, these songs. Mark, are you a Neon Knight? I am. Uh, I uh, Neon Knights, when I saw the uh, track listing, I was thinking to myself, this seems like it would be like a uh, movie pitch from Joel Schumacher. You know, I've, just hear me out, guys. I've got this, this great story. It's called Neon Knights. I'd and watch it. <laughs> it's like you're just talking about that scene in Batman Forever where Robin like gets attacked in the Batmobile. You know what's funny? You know what's funny from the all from the it's all tied together file is uh, you had Mark earlier talking about Batman Forever, and then you had Mark earlier talking about uh, his his buddy that uh, introduced him to a lot of music. Yeah. And I remember Mark and I talk often when we were in high school. Like this this buddy that introduced him to music, him and his other buddy introduced us to a lot of movies. And I remember very specifically when we were talking about Batman, Batman Forever, they would always joke about the amount of track lighting that uh, Joel Schumacher used in Batman Loved Forever. It. Yeah, <laughs> so. Loved it. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you know, we can go, we can really dissect the the last scene where Jim Carrey is sitting on his throne. Track lighting was going uh, ham. But Neon Knights, I mean, listening to Heaven and Hell right after listening to Never Say Die, uh, it's a completely it's a reintroduction not of or not just of a new lead singer but like the band sound is so drastically changed um, it's a lot tighter it's a lot more thrashier um, I mean it starts out of the gate almost like a motorhead type song you know um, and it's not like Black Sabbath definitely know a great riff when they hear it, but for this one, you get kind of more of a bluesy riff that's uh, really propulsive, very speedy, um, just a different style of playing. I mean, um, looking on their w- Wikipedia description about this, there was a um, 
uh, a poll quote from Zach Wilde talking about when you listen to Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio in it, it's not Black Sabbath. Because when you listen to that Heaven and Hell album, that doesn't sound anything close to Black Sabbath. I mean, that sounds about as much as like Black Sabbath as Blizzard of Oz sounds like Black Sabbath. Um, so it's almost like a completely different... They should have just called it Heaven and Hell right from the beginning is what he had said. Because it is a completely drastically different band feel to it. Like, oh, I have to... It, it made me like have to reset my expectations because I was like, oh, this is a huge chapter change for this band. Now, if I went into and Mark, this and just... Mark, and Mark, you know what I would say, though? I want to just... Yeah. I would say that's a, fe- that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, 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 you know, like, imagine if you... Who's our favorite band of all time, which is the reason we do this podcast. Yeah. No, Nine no, no, Mark, I'm asking. Exactly. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails, yeah. Uh, do you think that they should have called themselves something different when they put Broken out? Exactly. You know, that's that's a great point. I mean, they completely... And that was one of the things when... Uh, I think we when we talked about Broken, um, it was, like, drastically so much different than Pretty Hate Machine that it did lose some fans out of that. And... Uh, you, you bring up a great point, and but knowing Nine Inch Nails, they have more of that sound uh, going forward in their career than they what they do in Pretty Hate Machine. Um, everything is sort of rooted in that foundation, but it's not necessarily. Um, yeah, it, I hear your point. I do, and it's not to say that I think this is bad. It just made me reset my expectations. I like this song. I think it's a great opening track. Uh, to both Rob and Eric's point, uh, we get a little bit more medieval stuff. Um, and I circles and rings, dragons and kings uh, that were like in, you know, rush territory now. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I, I'm not saying that's bad. It's not a detractor. It's just it, like I said, it was so jarring for me as I was first because I didn't listen to this record and then go back and do the discography. I did it from the very beginning and I just led up to this point and it was just like, whoa, that's a that's a change. That's a change. Oh, yeah, I, because did, I did it, the same thing, Mark. I did the the method yeah, approach. Yeah. Yeah. And um me just being like, you know, always waving the flag for the records of Paranoid, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. And then getting this, which is definitely an updated version of that sound. I mean, for 1980, like you could definitely see, like there was a big, big swing in uh, the genre of metal. And uh, Black Sabbath didn't want to be left behind. And this is their um, kind of reintroduction to that genre, saying we can keep up to speed on what that modern sound's going to be like. And the fact that they've got a now a singer who can really back that up a little bit better with what the current metal genre was evolving into. Um, Neon Knights, thumbs up. Yeah, it's funny you said it. it's true. They definitely were like, hey, by the way, we started this and we're not going to you're not going to leave us behind. And, uh, you know, we, we can pick up the pace. And the band does sound energized. And also it's just kind of like, you know, come on when you're when you're in a relationship with somebody and then it, it dies when you meet that new person. Oh my God, everything is fresh again. And there's a little bit of that going on here, but you can definitely hear that Tony Iommi, who's one of the greatest guitar players of all time. He definitely loves the fact that he can do things a little quicker. He can go to places he couldn't go with the pace of the tracks they played with Ozzy. And uh, I mean, every track on this album is a little quicker and has a little bit more noodling and fancy fretwork, if you will. 
Yeah, pretty big fan of the uh, this, this song in general. And from the Dio, the Dio lyric file, you're right, Mark. Circles and rings, dragons and kings. It's definitely Castle Rock, but, you know, it's Blade Runner Castle Rock. It's Neon Knights. It's 1980, man. It's, uh, you know, maybe Sabbath or those Neon Knights. Who knows? Uh, the production is so crisp, and that's because they had Martin Birch come on. And Martin Birch produced a lot of records by your uh, Deep Purple's Specifically, your Iron Maidens. He he produced. He's probably until he passed away, the uh, the the lost member of Iron Maiden, the other guy. And uh, I think that this album really benefits from his production. Um, uh, Their last few albums were produced by Tony himself. And while I love the Aussie ears so much, I don't go to them for the production. Sometimes I go to them because they're not produced. They are grimy. But it's fun here to have everything so bright and clean and separated. I think Geezer Butler really benefits from us being able to hear how great of a bass player he is on this record. Neon Knight's... A great opener. But it's not as good as track two. Children of the Sea.
That was a little bit of children. Mark, are you a child of the sea? Yeah, the song's great. Uh, it uh, definitely has some peaks and valleys, uh, but when I say valleys, it uh, is a roller coaster ride. You've got kind of that acoustic guitar intro, um, and uh, his vocal performance is very operatic. Uh, this sort of reminds me of what Judas Priest were up to around that same time frame. Um, I, anything, uh, any song about Children of the Sea or anything that seems to be somewhat of a maritime theme, uh, I'm already punched my ticket for that ride. I, I do enjoy a good maritime sea chanty sort of kind of feel to it. Um, Clearly, this is the song that Jack Black from Tenacious D, and we all know Jack Black. Uh, your kids know Jack Black. Uh, Many, and I'll go into this more in the next episode. There's definitely a chapter in Dio's history where Jack Black uh, helped him uh, get a little popular again. But that's for, for the next sure. Episode. And this is what he based his personality on. I think like this was this song is such a huge influence on how uh, Jack Black's personality. Like that, look out! The sky is falling down. It's very dramatic. Um, I, I definitely that's uh, prime real estate for for that for that man. Um, this is a great song. I, I really do enjoy it. Um, lyrically, uh, it is uh, really again proving that Ronnie James Dio uh, was definitely a great lyricist that knew how to thematically paint. Uh, lyrics and so uh because i believe geezer was the prime uh lyric writer when ozzy was around is that right yeah geezer wrote most lyrics bill ward did sometimes okay uh ozzy i didn't go through and like chart it all out Uh, he helped write the lyrics to the first uh, you know black sabbath the classic fucking first track off their opening album which is amazing yeah and i think am i going insane uh which is definitely an ozzy type song we're going to talk about this more in the next episode, but Ozzy, he very charismatic. I love the sound of his voice, even though he's not a great singer, but he was always like a good team player and he helped all the links around him get stronger in a way. Um, but usually everybody else was writing the lyrics. So yes. All right. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. Good stuff. Good track too. Brings it down a little bit, but still has uh, some soaring guitar work. And uh, yeah, you could definitely tell that Iomi and uh, Dio were creating a really good chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, Children of the Sea is uh, that's another one that got put into the they will play it live until they quit playing songs live file. It's uh, it's an all timer. Rob, how do you feel about Children of the Sea? Uh, this makes me, this reminds me of, uh, I mean, I'm more of a responsible adult these days, but you know, back in our twenties, I think we did some pretty drunken, stupid sing-alongs to this song. And like, I mean, in such a good way is like to go from neon nights of that, like fast pace and then the opening slow of this, but then it just kind of, it doesn't slowly ramp up, but it picks up. 
And then hearing lyrics like we sail across the air before we learn to fly. It's like, what? But anyways, um, this song reminds me a lot of like, I, 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 I don't remember what year it was in San Francisco. We saw them play, but um, I think our friend boss, Tim lit his fi- like hair on fire to this song. No, nope, you're getting your, uh, your histories mixed up. That would be the title track. Um, ah. And that was uh, definitely when we saw them on September 30th, 2007. And we'll talk about that uh, two songs from now. Okay, cool. Sorry, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to speed up. But no, this is this song's a banger. Um, the lyrics in it are just like magic. And I thought Dio wrote this, but I think you were saying earlier. So Geezer did previous. This is one of the tracks they were trying to write when Ozzy was still in the band, and it wasn't okay. working out. And uh, yeah, and Dio probably you know those are his lyrics, but the melody and everything. This this was the first. Yeah. On the first day they got together and jammed, this was the first song they, they finished because uh, the the pieces were already there from the Aussie days. That's interesting. And then you wonder why they put Neon Nights before. I don't know. That's, that's pretty crazy. But you can't, if, it's too slow to open up with. I think they had to put Neon Nights at the start to have yeah. the album, uh, you, know, you know, look at, here's your new Black Sabbath, uh, kicking the ass song. And they take it down a notch with this one. But then it has this rising action to where it, uh, look out, it just explodes. Eric, are you a child of the sea? I know you are. Oh, yes. No, I, I love uh, maritime law, maritime everything. It's great. Um, this, yeah, this is a little, this is a, a, a cautionary tale. It's an, uh, it's an eco-activism song. Um we made the mountains shake with laughter as we played hiding in our corner of the world. Then we did the demon dance and rushed to nevermore. I love the demon dance line. It's wonderful. And through the, through the key and lock the door, just get, you know, humans, what we've done to the world. It's important. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a storytelling song. It starts, uh, it's cinematic. It's, it's very cinematic in scope. The music itself takes you on a journey and the lyrics, of course, tell that journey. Um, yeah, I like it. I, I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, it's epic. And, um, oh, they say that it's over is such a catchy little, little moment. Um, yeah, no, it's, this is, this is, uh, Dio, uh, if there was textbook Dio, um, it probably comes from this among other things, but it's, it's great storytelling. Uh, and you know, anybody could write a song about saving, saving the earth. But uh, do it on the epic scope that you you know you're you know in the latter half of a Zelda game, um, and maybe you'll connect to more people. It's great. Yeah, this is probably my third favorite song in the album, and uh, it just it just has such rising action towards the end of it. And I, I love that the, it starts out with that in the misty morning, and it, it really makes you feel. It kind of goes into some Led Zeppelin territory, and I'm not just saying because of Missy Mountain Hop. It really feels like the start of like a Led Zeppelin song, and uh, just makes you feel like you're kind of waking up at dawn and getting adjusted. But then it just, you know, he starts talking about, you know, throwing chains around the sun and crashing them into the ground, and the sky going black. It just paints this picture of everything falling apart because we tried our reach exceeded our grasp. He was singing this 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, now we're wondering, are our kids going to be the ones to see the world end? Uh, not to be too depressing tonight. 
but uh, I love it. It's a very, it's, it's a very fantasy fantasy version of climate awareness, which is awesome. Uh, I mean, the riff, you've got some Tony Iommi riffs that are just groovy as all hell, but what really gets me on this track is the keyboards and there's going to be keyboards in this album here and there. And there's a section that has these, like, it's like a Gregorian chant mixed with the keyboards. You guys know what part I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I, I wasn't sure if those were, uh, sometimes you can do like a, a choir effect on, on some of those, mm-hmm. uh, some of those old, old organs, but it sounded like it. And it's great. Yeah. And, w- and when he's doing that, like, you know, Tony Iommi starts noodling and doing some little noodles and, uh, it's just, it, it's awesome. The atmosphere on this track is amazing. Uh, it's very clean and, and, and bright, but still has a dark, dark feel to it. And, uh, the bass tone throughout this record is perfect. It's great on this song. Um, it's a very emotional song and it just, uh, that line you mentioned, the demon dance, you know, in relation to technology that we can't keep up with. I, I, I love it. That's, that gets us to the lyrical trope. And this, this song is computers and technology are going to be our end, you know, watch out for them or rather look out. The sky is turning black. Look out. We're never going back. It's uh, it's awesome. And those lookouts, the way he delivers those lookout, that's very much like you said, Mark, Jack Black based his whole personality on that. And what to Rob said earlier about when you see Dio live, he would do these in other songs. He would, you know, you look out. Ow. He could vamp and throw those in like nobody else. Uh, he, he, he was a perfectionist of that stuff. And whenever I say look out to somebody, I think I think of the song. Um. And uh, to Mark or Eric, that that lower register he sings in when he says the uh, oh, they say it's over section uh, that we're not meant to be. That is wonderful. But the last time he delivers that uh, the band goes in like a higher like bam, bam, bam. They, they take it up a notch. The last delivery of that. And it's it's, it's just awesome. Gives me goosebumps every time. Uh, Children of the Sea, a plus song. And if you're good at your Internet. Rob Halford uh, filled in for Dio in 1992, and his version of this song is great. The next track is going to warn you to stay away from Lady Evil. Lady Evil. 
picks things up in a different way. And it's almost as if, again, maybe Led Zeppelin and maybe some of your uh, your radio Deep Purples, maybe even ELO, I don't know. It's a little bit more of a, a radio-friendly song. Eric, how do you feel about Lady Evil? <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, as we've talked about, I, I'm i a little, I guess, uh, harder to get excited about just 70s rock. Um, Which is so, what, this is definitely a throwback to... Yes. Yes. This could be a rainbow song, yeah, most definitely. And, and uh, but <laughs> there is a great chugging bass line. Uh, it's got some hard edges to it that take it kind of out of its just its like 70s rock uh, groove. And I love how anybody else could just write a song about a lady that that uh, that, that 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 burned him. But instead, Dio tells you about Witch's Valley. And, and paints this, <laughs> this this fantastical map about this these witches that live down here and one in particular is filling this emptiness inside her with the souls of the of the people she preys on. Uh, it's just <laughs> anybody can write a jilted lover song. If, if Dio was a filmmaker, like he got somebody broke up with him and he went out and made the Blair Witch Project. That's that's right. how this works. Yeah, with him. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and ultimately, in the end, I find myself enjoying this song, and um, it's not necessarily my favorite shade of Black Sabbath music, but it's never not enjoyable. And uh, I quite like, I quite like what Dio does with with a very relatable topic. I mean, I guess we've all been heartbroken before uh, or jilted, but uh, the way he does it is okay. Yeah, the the ex girlfriend is now a succubus. Okay, fantastic. So yeah, uh, all in all, good time. This one, definitely for me, it's a grower. It starts out and you're like, all right, what, what the hell is this? But if you stick with it, I mean, you get to the guitar solo and then Tony Aomi's busting out a wah pedal. He doesn't do that often. That's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, again, the drums and the, the bass are mixed perfectly. Geezer's bass is taking a walk around. And the, yeah, from the deal lyric file, it's definitely deal warning you of a woman and watch out. She'll pull you in. But uh, in his own way, which very fan, fan fantasy driven. Uh, I, I think it's a fun track and it, it warrants his existence uh, in the second half of it when they kick it up a notch. Mark, how do you feel about lady evil? Um, this one, uh, when I talked about sunset strip rock, this one definitely falls into that category. Um, I'm not a fan of this sound. I'm, I've never been a fan of Motley Crue or your poisons, but if Vince Neil, uh, you know, got his hands on that riff and he still was given this title. This song would have been about like some groupie that gave him the clap, you know, like, and that's almost what I thought this was song was about until I read the lyrics, um, knowing that it was going to be from Ronnie James Dio is going to be about witchcraft and things like that. Don't don't go up that hill. Don't talk to that lady. Don't even look at her in the eye. You know, that kind of like feeling. Um, but, uh, just how it sounds, it sounds like, you know, bird dog and chicks on, uh, you know, the sunset strip looking for some strange and, uh, you know, don't go talk to that lady. Cause, uh, you know, something's bad going to happen in seven to 10 days. Um, it could be, it could be both things. You should <laughs> you, you, you drive by that lady and you shouldn't talk to her. It's the same thing. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, this is not one of my favorites on the record. Um, I, I see that there is obviously some appeal for this type of sound, but this, like what Eric was saying, I don't feel that this is 70s era rock. I feel this is more, um, you know, your poisons and your great whites and your uh, Coverdales and things like that. But Ouch. yeah, well, you know, Cover Coverdale was in uh, Deep Purple in 1972 with Richie Blackmore, who went on to form Rainbow. Sure, sure. And um, well connected, I man. think I think you're both right. I think it has the faux 70s groove, uh, faux 70s Southern groove. But then the uh, watch out for that woman kind of thing that you might find in the eighties a lot. It could be both things. Yeah. Rob, where do you, where do you fall on lady evil? This is the one where I was like, wait, what happened? Cause neon Knights comes in fast. Children of the sea is epic. And then this one, I'm like, it's great to play in a bar, but like, I feel like they just kind of missed the beat on this one. I don't know if I would, it doesn't make me feel like great white or the dirty poisons. <clears throat> but I mean, it, it's really, it's a catchy tune, but you know, she's the queen of the night. And I feel like there's definitely some tension. Maybe there's some history of Dio getting screwed over by some magical woman. But for me, this, this is the one song where I'm like, ah, it's, it's good enough to play in a bar, but I'd feel like it doesn't hold the, like the pacing and just the epicness of the previous two. So it kind of dips for me on the record right here. Yeah, I I agree. It's a eh, it might be my least favorite song on the album, but I I I like this album so much. Even my least favorite song, I'm okay yeah, it's, with. It's, it's not good. a it's Don't not it's wrong. not a bad song, but I'm not going I'm not going to Black Sabbath, be it uh, old or new Black Sabbath for this type of song. Yeah, it's you know you got Neon Knights coming in hard, Children of the Sea, like great lyrics, like some good fun having and then this dip and then what comes after this it's like this is the one where i'm like really this is the one that's gonna like lead us up to the rest of this record this is the one where i i definitely do question it's not terrible that is funny because the next track is you know one of the most epic tracks of all time yeah you wonder would have been better to place that as track three yeah but uh but also no matter what you put no matter what you put before heaven and hell's title track, it's going to suffer in comparison. The next track is so good. I don't care what you put before it. It's going to be like, fuck, I got to open for that guy. You know? So what are you saying, Eric? I was just saying just to, just to make a D and D reference. This is like when you're, when your game master gets like his girlfriend breaks up with him. So you spend the next three months fighting a bog hag in the game. Like they just, they just write see. into the story. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm cool, picking up your <laughs> <laughs> Bog hag. Something you're pulling from your real life, oh, real life problem. You know, you know, you know, be, you know, be amazing though. Is that actually if uh, Eric, who's been happily married for fucking like a decade. <laughs> sorry, changed. ladies. He's off the market. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I like I like the idea that every time he fights with his wife, he the bog hag pops up in his D and D campaigns, and the rest of the guys are like, "Oh, great!" Eric, Eric bought the wrong, the, wrong in the old homestead. Yeah, he he bought the wrong brand of bananas at Trader Joe's again, and now we're gonna hear about the bog hag. 
<laughs> yeah, you get it. You get it. You get it. Yeah. yeah. Al, Bu- Al Bundy by way of D and D. So oh yeah, Lady, you know, Lady Evil. It's uh, it is what it is. And then Heaven and Hell. It is what it is. And Heaven and Hell is the title track off the album called Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath, who later, when they played with uh, Dio, called themselves Heaven and Hell. Heaven and Hell. Somebody's got to go first when we talk about arguably the greatest song of all time. Heaven and Hell. Yeah, no, this this uh, this one has got a big riff, um, and this is like one of the more doomy doomy riffs on the record. But the bass line is thumping like a train crawling up a mountain. And Dio's in, in his full powers on the song, um, and you know you've got you've got a track that is uh, I guess it's like Dio has gone on record as basically saying like he wanted to sing this to people that were like underdogs people that were in in bands um, that were you know into music or not into like into the wrong kind of music or just like in their own little niche worlds and it's basically like uh, the it depends upon I guess it's all about the people that we make connections with, right? Whether our lives are going to be heaven or hell. And, and it's, it's, it, it is in a way it's a, it's a community building song. It's like finding your tribe. Like that, that that's, that's kind of what it's about and a positive, put a positive spin on it. Um, and, and really, you know, and with that, um, what kind of path do we create for ourselves when we, uh, uh, choose between, uh, you know, I guess conformity and, and, and being ourselves, doing good or evil. There's a lot of, of different analogies in it, um, which I think is powerful. I, you can tell by how much Dio's talked about this song. This one's very important to, to him as a songwriter. Um, it's his favorite song he ever wrote. Yeah, and I can I didn't read that, but I can tell that. That's that's absolutely I can tell that. And it's it's a big epic song. It's got a lot of weight to it, and. Um, at some point, guitar solos start spinning into the stratosphere, and uh, great storytelling. It's, it's uh, come on. This is why we're all here today. So it's awesome. Yeah, and I mean this track. It's, uh, it's undeniable. It's classic. That riff 
many metal bands will just play that riff live. Like I, I, when I saw Exodus recently in between songs, Gary Holt played that riff live. I've heard Buzz Osborne play that riff. I mean, it's just it. And it is kind of a bridge to old Sabbath and this new Sabbath. I mean, that riff has a weight and a chunk to it. You can't deny it. But still, the precision of the entire song craft of the song is definitely this new Sabbath. And um, yeah, it's an incredible song that ended up in their uh, live. Any version of Sabbath for the next few decades would play this song live. It's uh, it's just a it's it's crazy how powerful the title track on this song is. I'd imagine that if I was back there and I put this album on for the first time, when I got to this track, I would be like, holy shit, they've done it. They've cracked the code. This is the perfect metal song. Uh, Martin Popoff, who I listen to his podcast. Uh, he has this podcast where he has like top five, you know, songs that are about going to the market on Tuesday. Uh, he always, he's great at top five lists, but he's a metalhead at heart. And Martin Popov has written many, 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 many metal books. And he uh, he says this is the 11th greatest metal song of all time. How do you feel about the title track? It's an absolute classic. I mean, my God, I think uh, you said it best by it being a, a perfect bridge. That's a classic Black uh, Sabbath riff. Classic. How it opens it up. It's uh, it's ridiculous. Incredibly an earworm. And uh, this song has incredible layers. You could really feel the band was firing in all cylinders when they wrote this song. Uh, they're really just gelling as a unit. Uh, I love it when the magic happens. And this song is a perfect example of when that magic happens. Lyrically, uh, it's pretty strong. You know, uh, you've got the whole uh, dissonance of duality of man, the whole heaven and hell. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, Dio's vocal performance is pitch perfect. Um, Tony Iommi winner of the day on this one like he it takes you places on this song it's fantastic uh the bass line uh just kind of thumping along i feel like survivor kind of ripped this off and sped it up a little bit for eye of the tiger but maybe I, that's like nope nope i can hear it as soon as you said that yep definitely yeah yeah um <clears throat> but great song I, I, I mean, I can't say any more about that. It's just a, it's a pitch perfect classic song from top to bottom. Um, it personifies the whole uh, to, uh, Dio era. I mean, obviously, not just 
the anchor of this record, but this anchor of their entire uh, chemistry as a four piece. And yeah, it's just a, it's a statement song and I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, very much. So the, like the whole, the, the Dio experiment, it's, it's this song is uh, if every other song they put, put out was middling, it would be justified by this song's existence. You're like, well, fuck, you know, they wrote 48 other bad songs, but heaven and hell was great. I mean, that's the song is just perfect. And, um, yeah, like you mentioned the, the duality lyrics, that's definitely from the, the, the Dio lyric file. He likes to do a lot of metaphors about like, well, sometimes it's this, but it might really be that this song is the epitome of that heaven and hell, you know, some, you're either a good person or a bad person. And depending on how much you want to give in this life is whether, you know, not if you're going to heaven or hell, but if this life is going to be heaven and hell, it's uh, it's totally full of deoisms. And Rob, one time you and I, we went and saw heaven and hell, the band. It was at the Concord Pavilion in 2007. And we had our, our friend with us. Uh, we affectionately uh, called him Boston Tim. He was a guy named Tim that used to live in Boston. And this song starts with this iconic riff. And we look over and Tim lit his hair on fire. He, he <laughs> took his lighter and he lit his hair on fire. Well, the opening riff was going on. He did the devil horns. And I have to say... If any song was going to drive me to light what you know, what little hair I have left on fire, it would be this song. I didn't. I, I thought it was amazing. It was the most goddamn metal and rock and roll thing I've ever seen, and totally on brand for that guy. And he quickly put his, uh, you know, his hair out. Uh, he's fine. He didn't burn his whole head. But he uh, kept lighting it, man. It was more than once. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he was probably on a couple of things beyond your, uh, you know, your your red cup beers at the uh, Concord. But uh, that yeah. was that uh, that strikes me. Uh, this this song has always had a place in my heart, and I always think about. Oh yeah, I saw him and my uh, my buddy lit his hair on fire. But Rob, I mean th- this song, I know you love it. I think you even told me, did you make a, like a high school video with this song in it, or am I making that up? Uh, or a skate video uh, or something. My buddy Miles, we did do we did do like a DIY video, but this was pretty much this was in it actually. Yeah. Well, besides that. Tell me how you feel. This is why Lady Evil bugs me because this song is perfect. Like, it's like people argue like, oh, this isn't Black Sabbath because Dio is in it. And then when you hear this and you hear all of them joining forces and like the musicianship and, you know, God, Dio's voice, but like, it's like that that the middle of okay uh song starts amazing you hit about the middle and it starts to just like the arc starts to go back down and you know um dio starts to like remove his vocals he chills out and they've been amazing but then iomi starts going into this magical world with his guitarmanship and then the percussion starts to pick up and then when dio comes back it's weird it's not weird it's it's even like it's more magic because you can hear the energy in his voice. It gets angry and how he, he beckons his heaven and hell chorus. And it like takes it to an even another level. And like the whole arc and the up and down of this song, I think is just, is just bliss. It's, it's awesome. 
Um, I can never get old of listening to this. Like it's it, literally like the, 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 the arc and the up and down. It's the heaven and hell, man. Yeah, totally. That's it. <laughs> it's perfect. But you no, know, it is perfect. Every time the song comes on, I'm always ready for it. I can listen to this song on repeat for like 10 times. Yeah. I have a problem. And you mentioned that. Is, yeah. That I was just saying my wife, you know, as you know, Rebecca, she got kind of annoyed with me. She's like, how many fucking times are you going to listen to the song? And I was like, I got to find something. I was like, it's even, it's fresh every time you listen to it. It's one song that doesn't get old. Yes, that's right, folks. Rob and I are both married to a woman named Rebecca, but it's not the same woman. Don't, it's yes, not that no. Woman. They're both very feisty. They're both tall, but not the same woman. Both blondes. It's, it's odd. We have a type. But yes. uh, yeah, to speak also to the, the, you know, the, uh, the movements in this song, it opens with that riff that's undeniable. And then it goes in, like during the first verse, it's just bass and drums yeah. in the verse. I love it. And so then when the chorus kicks in, Tony brings his riff back in and you're like, holy shit, they really got a stew here. But then, yeah, where they, they go, they, when they go away for a while at the end, uh, Tony gets to do some of the new noodling. He gets to do some of the more, you know, up-tempo guitar work. And but then they bring back that last section and you're, yeah, you're right. Then it's just for a second. You got Bill Ward's drums and then Tony yeah. comes back and then, you know, geezer, the bass is going. And that last verse the like Dio sings it with such intensity yeah. and uh, he's so sincere and the whole, the whole thing I'll just read it like they say that life's a carousel spinning fast. You've got to ride it. Well, the world is full of Kings and Queens who blind your eyes and steal your dreams. It's heaven and hell. And they'll tell you black is really white. The moon is just the sun at night. And when you walk in golden halls, you get to keep the gold that falls. It's heaven and hell. That, set, that, that part right there when they say, and they'll tell you black is really white. I think about that every time in this world where we're constantly being lied to. I fucking, that lyric right there, I'm like, that's, that's right. You have to watch out because you're going to be lied to all the time. They're never going to tell you the truth. You got to remember what the real deal is. Fucking Ronnie James Dio, rest in peace. Heaven and Hell, title track on this album. Wonderful. And uh, yeah, I, I could I could do a whole podcast probably on this song. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite. I don't know. It's way up there, man. It's great. As a parting shot about that Kings and Queens line, any time that I hear that in a, uh, a song now, uh, which isn't very often, but I always think of the song Kings and Queens by Killing Joke, uh, uh, like subject matter that we... Right? Did, did Does that happen to you too, yes. Eric? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, Mark, I'm so happy to hear that because I thought you were going to make a bad joke about the Kevin James sitcom. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I got to stream that one, you know, just to really make sure that there isn't a hidden Kings and Queens thing in there. You know, and, yeah. and also, so yeah, the title track on the album, uh, the album has the I- iconic artwork of a bunch of uh, angels smoking cigarettes. Um, it was an artist that did... Uh, only artwork for this album and another record of which is slipping my mind. But you guys were talking offline earlier and uh, Van Halen totally ripped them off with the cover for 1984. If you ask me with the little Cupid smoking cigarettes. I think this one's better, man. The three angels. And then like two of them are stuck next to each other. And then there's the one off and they're both looking. 
Tough day at heaven. It's good because on like first glance, if you don't look at it, it just looks like almost like a classical art painting. While the yeah. Van Halen one looks more like a, uh, you know, a, a, was it a Rockwell or whatever. But um, anyways, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. In the, wa- the waning days of the Aussie years, uh, Van Halen toured with, Oz- or with Black Sabbath. And Black Sabbath was just bad. And Van Halen was the opener. And they apparently, like, it's a well-known thing now that they just kicked Black Sabbath's ass every night. And that was a part of the lead-up to them uh, disintegrating. In the late 70s? Yeah. I mean, come on. A, yeah. you, know, you, got, you got Diamond Dave doing jumping jacks and uh, Eddie doing guitar tricks. And then, then you got... Ozzy falling over, and then That's Tony's true. got you know a, a nosebleed from the amount of blow he was doing. So, yeah. Anyways, Heaven and Hell, great title track, great song, all timer, ultimate classic. Moving on to the next track, Wishing Well. Wishing Well, track five on the album. This is a sleeper track for me. At first, you're like, oh, great. Another Lady Evil. But uh, it clicks with me. And after a few listens, I'm a big fan of it. Um, It's got some good guitar work. I mean, that goes without saying. But I think one of Tony Iommi's best solos on this album is in this song. Um, The the song's biggest problem is it has to follow heaven and hell. I mean, goddamn, it, it sucks being right after that track. Uh, Mark, how do you feel about wishing well? I don't hate it. Like, uh, well, to be fair, I didn't hate Lady Evil. It just wasn't one of my favorite rec- uh, songs on this record. Uh, wishing well, I feel that most Black Sabbath records have a song like this in the sense of it's not bad. It's kind of a deep cut. It's not necessarily filler because um, filler, I often think, is just a waste of your time. This does have its gems but it's a kind of a forgettable track in the sense that when you're listening to it you're like oh, okay that's fine and then you move on to the next one and it's you know already kind of out of your mind um not a bad not a bad song i don't really have a whole lot of notes on this one um but it is one of those things that you would find like off technical ec- just ecstasy or never say die that uh, just kind of fill out the record but you're never actually going to be like, ooh, let's put on Wishing Well. You know, that's not yep. what its intention is to be. That's fair. It sounds like a Rainbow song, and I love Rainbow. But this sounds more like Rainbow than any version of Black Sabbath. Um, it's sandwiched between two all-timers, which is going to be a problem. I think it's great. I think if you stick with it, it, it justifies its existence. But then at the same time, you're like, well, Steve, if I had to stick with the song to appreciate the song, that kind of sucks. I'm like, all right, yeah. But I think if you listen to this song all the way through and focus on it just once, you realize, oh, it's doing a little bit more than I thought it was doing. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, actually, I, I, I kind of like this song. Um, 
and once again, this is this is Dio Sabbath tricking me into liking some some uh, uh, just dry and cut rock and roll music. But it's uh, it's great. It's um, there. I like what it's about. It's it's a very kind of almost sarcastic song about I'll give you a star so you know where you are. Uh, don't you know I might be your wishing well? Um, just it's basically like uh, throwing money at a at a problem or whatever uh, is not really going to fix it. So this is like this whole um, you know at this time in the world like there was this whole just rush of new age like religions and almost pyramid schemes, and it was basically like we're going to fix everything if we just throw money at us and. Um, He's just he's just doing this as one of these these gurus that's his character in the song and it's 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 great but but even with that it's not just cynical there's this hidden message that like just find your peace and your solace with what you have don't don't throw your money into other stuff and things you need just just find satisfaction with what you have in a very zen kind of way which I appreciate uh, so I guess like. I don't know, something about his his delivery on this song and what it's about did stick with me more than the music. Um, that being said, it has some of the coolest bass riffery on, on this album. The bass work is, is pretty stellar. So, um, yeah, I, I agree this is a sleeper as well. I, I am generally rewarded at the end of this track. I think most of the reward on this one, I think Dio is definitely the high point on this one. I think... Good lyrics and his delivery is great. And he carries out some notes in a sing-songy way that is uh, enjoyable on my old ears. Rob, are you wishing well? I'm wishing well. I feel like this one, I mean, the fact that, you know, I think the first 30 seconds he utters rainbow in the lyrics makes me, takes me to rainbow. And this, I feel like this is like, Dio creative directing through this whole entire song. Well, also it's, it's Dio bingo. You're like, Oh, rainbow. Check it off. Yeah, All really. right. <laughs> Checkbox. But like, Iomi does like some interesting guitar work. And like, I think it's interesting. It starts to feel very eighties. Um, where like heaven and hell brought, like, as we said before, it brings you back to Sabbath where this one is like, it's not as dark, but it, it's uplifting. You know, I wouldn't say I don't like it, but it's definitely checking the box of like Dio is on the album. Yeah, like I said, it's definitely you're like, oh, by the way, Dio was in a band called Rainbow. Yeah. In addition to me mentioning Rainbow, this sounds like it could be a Rainbow song. It's uh, it's good, though. I think it's got more. It, it, it's worth your while more than Lady Evil. I like both songs, but I if I had to pick one or the other, I go with Wishing Well. Really? I see that. I guess I go back. Like, I don't, I don't hate any like song on this album, but at least Lady Evil. I don't know. I, I love just like the, <laughs> that magical mystical woman. And like this underlining, like tension between his hatred of some woman and what had happened. And like, I guess it just, it feels like a bar song to me, which is quite perfect for that. But yep. this one, the wishing well, I'm like, eh. it's one of those tracks where like, I can easily like, you know, not pay attention to while this album's on. Yeah. Lady evil. You're right. Could be a bar song. Wishing well is a uh, driving by yourself on a sunny afternoon song. And uh, uh, lady oh, yeah. evil, 
L- L- Lady Evil goes back to the uh, the trifling women uh, Dio tropes. Wishing yeah. well is a uh, kind of the self empowerment Dio lyrical tropes. Yeah, I can see that. That's 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 a good that's a good point. So, no matter how much you wish, you're gonna die. And the question is, do you want to die young or do you want to die old? <laughs> I tell you what, though, "Die Young" is the next track. And if the last song I hear before I die is Die Young, I won't be mad. Here's Die Young. It's a long clip from Die Young. Rob, we're going to stick with you. I have a lot to say about this track, and I'm sure you do too. How do you feel about Die Young? When Wishing Well stopped and then this slowly rides in, like your ears perk up. Um, I think just like the synchro sweep, like Iomi I, I and like what he does on this, it's pretty magical. Um, it's just a, it's a fucking good song. It's also like, I feel like you get a warning sign from what Dio's telling you throughout this. Um, it's uplifting, but somewhat evil also. Um, it's a good track. Big fan of this track. Big fan of this track. I feel like uh, if I'm ready to die young, man, it's uh, time's taken on that. Um, but living life for now i like that message you know being in the present moment rather than living in the past looking about what you can do in the future i uh big fan of that message this song brings some keyboards front and center it's also very new to that black sabbath sound um i definitely am a big fan of uh kind of that prog rock kind of feel to this song um Right before uh, he says, someone stop the fair. And, you know, things really start to go into this kind of Pink Floydian metal-y uh, kind of there you go. metal version of Pink Floyd, right? Yes, there's a, I'll, I'll be bringing the, the, the Pink Floyd on this track and the closing track. So, yes. Yeah, 
uh, highlight of the record. It's uh, it's a great song. Um, his wistful, uh, he, like you had said at the top here, I could never picture Ozzy singing something like this um, in such a uh, in such a more polished way. You know, Ozzy definitely is a character, um, but Dio comes with some chops and uh, he shows it here. I, I like this song quite a bit. Yeah, just the way it, the way it comes in with those keyboards. You're like, oh man, I love keyboards. Like they use keyboards. It's like great atmosphere. This record, this record's production is consistent throughout. No matter the song style, it very much uh, Martin Birch really pulled together a uh, a complete vision. And a lot of these songs have like a good like sense of atmosphere and place. This one in particular, the way the keyboards come in, they're kind of proggy, but then that riff. That riff kicks in and it's one of those riffs that are like, hey, look at the fast stuff we can play with our new singer. It's uh, it's an all timer Tony Iommi riff. This is another one of the tracks they played for decades after this album. Um, and then when just Dio jumps in, yes, this is Dio self-empowerment, uh, power of rock and roll a little bit there, but mostly self-empowerment, but just the forcefulness in which he sings and the conviction. Uh, and it's almost like you he's making you believe in yourself. It's just it's it's great. Um, I could go on a little bit more, but before I do, Eric, have you died young already? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, the, the keyboards at the beginning that we all have brought up, <laughs> I, my notes just say like, uh, the keyboards and the riff, it sounds like a, uh, Brian De Palma score, like Kathleen Turner's getting out of the shower. It's, it's fantastic. Um, it does set the atmosphere and then, uh, yeah, I mean the lyrics, I mean, he's like, it's optimistic, but it's also there's a fatalist aspect to it too. Gather the wind, the wind won't help you at all. It'll help you fly at all. Your back's to the wall. Chain the sun, and it tears away. It tears away to face you as you run. You run, like uh, you know. There's no escaping the inevitability. Live for today, tomorrow never comes. Um, and it is that that it, it does tie to the last song thematically, as far as just um, making the most out of out of each day and what you have uh, the, the the die young breakdowns um, they're quiet and there's an awesome mood to them and then uh, this song's got a couple great solos uh, all in all what a cool what a cool track Life's fantasy to be locked away and still to think we're free, we're free, we're free. So live for today, cause tomorrow never comes. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite Black Sabbath songs. I mean, the sections, like you mentioned, that line about you know, your backs to the wall. Then chain the sun that tears away to face you as you run. It's uh, it's 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 amazing. That section where, you know, everything kind of stops and the keyboard kind of does a sequence. It sounds very bright and shiny, very neon. But then um, on top of that, Iomi's going down, 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 down. He's kind of doing a call and response to someone that's not there, if that's possible. And then it comes back and it kicks into high tempo again. And they bring back that weird, Eric, that weird, like, 
Gregorian chant keyboard effect that oh, 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 and then it just kicks into overdrive again. And then you've got Dio just saying, die young, die young, die young, die young, die young. It's it's wonderful. And don't don't sleep on him. But Geezer Buzzler is Geezer Butler is doing some crazy uh, bass work on this track. His fingers are nimble on this one. So uh, Die Young is a another classic. And uh, yeah, Dio would play it solo in his shows and Black Sabbath would keep it in their uh, live discography moving forward. So let's walk on to the next track. Walk away. Walk away, and it's definitely you know there's there's only eight tracks in this album, and I think that three of them fall into this second tier. Walk away is the last one that falls into that tier that you also find Lady Evil and Wishing Well in, but I still think that Walk Away is a great track. It's sneaky good. It's another one that's kind of a Led Zeppelin song to me, um, and I, I think that's just bound to happen when you have the guy from Rainbow in the band. Is that there's some kind of like a 1970s Led Zeppelin backwash. Um, this could be a pop radio song if they wanted to. This could have been a radio hit, I think, if they wanted to make it a single. Uh, when it first starts, I'm like, am I going to check my watch here? But I don't. I'm a pretty big fan of Walk Away. Yeah, this I do have down as kind of my least dynamic song on the album. Um, but it's easy to get through. I'm not skipping it. Um, Dio's doing his thing. It's a similar... Similar story. Uh, apparently, in the seventies, is this an, this was, is another bog? Is this another bog hag song? It's another is bog hag song. But apparently, in the seventies, there was this trend of women tricking men into getting pregnant. Uh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, Eric. I know that the world's crazy right now, and uh, the Supreme Court's done right. some shit. But they were tricking men into getting pregnant. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I didn't. Hold on. Okay, to tie this all together, we had we had we have Ronnie James Dio on vocals, who looks like Carla, who was married (laughs) to Danny DeVito, who got Arnold Schwarzenegger pregnant in the uh, movie Junior. It all ties together. (laughs) 
yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jonathan Frakes. That's right. Did, did you hear what I just said? <laughs> yeah, I'm no, pregnant. Uh, I uh, I don't I don't know if there's anything to that whatsoever. That is what Lyric Genius told me, and when I looked up this, that there was a trend of uh, of, of of women tricking men into getting pregnant. Sounds like balderdash to me, but um, this is a song about just that. Look away, walk away. Uh, I can feel her heat; it's rising higher. Okay, boner talk. Uh, anyways, <laughs> weird topic. Weird topic. It's a fine song. It's absolutely, uh, yeah, it goes down easy as long as you don't think about it too long. Wishing well, walk away. It's a good song. It's, uh, I, I think that uh, it's a little stronger than Wishing Well um, in the sense of it's not a filler. Uh, it's got a really great outro. You know, the, uh, I think it's the three minute mark when uh, Tony Iommi is going crazy with that guitar solo. Fantastic, fantastic work. Um, lyrically, I, I don't know if it would be considered problematic, but it is kind of interesting to, in our current times, uh, just looking through that uh, prism of the, what we're currently living through, of walking away from someone who wants to get pregnant. But hey, man, don't give in to temptation. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, it's. Uh, I wouldn't say it's misogynist, but it's uh, definitely like, you know, those wily women, you got to watch out for them. You got to watch out, man. Well, the wily women, that's said, that's a deal. Lyrical trope is not specifically Eric's crazy story. He's telling about poking holes in condoms, but uh, dealing with, uh, you know, that that woman you should keep an eye on. It was definitely something he had going on in some tracks. Yeah. But it's not bad. It is. Uh, it's very interesting in the sense of, look, guys, we all like to get laid. We know that. But uh, got to keep your both eyes open. You know what I'm saying? And that's uh, that's th- that's the message here. Um, it's not bad. It's 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 great musically, lyrically. It may be a little bit uh, <laughs> a little suspect, but uh, I think that it's a pretty solid song, though. Well, I'm over here having a breakthrough because I've always been convinced based upon the age of my parents that I was a mistake. But then my father being a huge Dio fan, was I part of this phenomenon? Was I, uh, was my mother a trifling woman poking holes in condoms? I don't know. I'm going to have to think about this now. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. I'll, anytime I can give you an existential crisis, I will do it. <laughs> Rob, how you doing with walk away? I, I will agree with Mark. It's not a filler, um, but there is like that three minute mark, which is like probably the best part of the song where it gets atmospheric. Um, and I feel like, you know, there's some heavy components of the album, you know, and you can't hearing like neon nights, children of the sea. I mean, fuck even little lady evil and heaven and hell. This one is like pretty lame tempo. It's it's a bit light. It's like they're cracking light beers with this song. Um, musically, I think it's it's synced. It feels very 80s. I mean, granted, this album came out in 1980. Um, I mean, to your point of being produced through What's-His-Name with Maiden makes a lot of sense, especially even like with this song, I feel like. Um, but 
it's not my favorite, but I will say it's an interesting one that leads into, I think, a great rap. But um, it's not bad. But again, it's not amazing. I'm gonna be. They all, the, to quote Primus's greatest hits album, they all can't be zingers. True. Very true. So we'll we'll zing right to the next track, the closing track. Lonely is the word. An unsung masterpiece. Lonely is the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been higher than stardust. I've been seen upon the sun. I used to count in millions then, but now I. is the word this is a song that is definitely a grower uh the first few times i listened to this album uh, i kind of was like ah it's a good song and i just was like all right now you do something but when you sit and listen to it with a critical ear for say a podcast it is a uh, top tier sabbath top tier guitar work top tier dio i i think it has uh some of uh, tony Omi's greatest performances Mark brought up Pink Floyd earlier. I do hear a lot of David Gilmore in this track. And um, David Gilmore is uh, one of the greatest guitar players. He's one of my favorite guitar players. David can go heavy, but he doesn't go heavy. He usually goes bluesy. Uh, Tony can go heavy. He's usually heavy. But Tony started kind of bluesy back in the olden days. And he brings some of that bluesiness to this track. And Dio brings some of the bluesiness too. This is a... you know, the song is lonely is the word. There's a sense of sadness to it. And I think that the guitar work really sells it. The guitar work is very emotive. And I think Dio really sells it. It's not just the words he's singing, but how he's singing it. Eric, you're the lyric guy. What do you think about the lyrics and the song in general? So I I did. This was actually, I stumbled upon something that I, I didn't read this one. Actually, I, I made the connection myself and I could be out to lunch. But I, I love... You know, in general, you have this guy in the verses singing about how he had it all and he lost it all, right? And then he meets somebody and it, it, it come, join the traveler. You've got nowhere to go. And he's going to take him somewhere. And the way it, it the lonely, the, the, the lonely is the word, the saddest song I've ever heard. It's a great, great little bit of lyrics. But, you know, it could be a traveler, somebody just taking him on a, on a, a road trip out of his life, away from everything. But I started thinking about Sharon from Greek mythology as the son of Erebus and Nyx, 
This was Sharon's. It was the one that floated you in the ferry across the River Styx, and I and I and I kind of felt like that was the traveler. That was the person this this one is joining. Um, after you've lost it all, that 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 was what it was painting in my head, at least. Um, what a cool, cool, cool song lyric-wise. Um, anyways, higher than Stardust, seen upon the sun. I used to count in millions, but now I only count in one. Uh, anyways, a great rags to riches song with some possible mytholo mythological overtones, and holy shit, that like three-minute guitar solo. It's extreme and 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 you said blues i th i thought he was doing like a jazz and i know it's apples orange like not even apples oranges it's like there's a lot of venn diagram overlap with blues and jazz solos but just like the reverb and stuff it made me think of a like a cool like jazz guitar solo um all over the place and and, and i agree there, there's some there's some parts to it where it's a little freestyle -y. uh yeah. yeah 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 like a like a little like a little uh, improvising yeah i could see that yeah Anyways, that was uh, maybe even like a Django Reinhardt style or something. Anyways, Gypsy, Gypsy guitar solo. It, it, it is Tony, some of Tony Iommi's like coolest, coolest uh, features. Um, yeah, what a cool closer. Yeah, no, like his guitar, he gets to do some extended solos that are amazing. And uh, that, and even in the end of it, as the song's fading out, um, they start to layer in some keyboards that weren't there for the rest of the song that really give it this sense of uh, actually kind of like the keyboards that come in at the end of the track have an ethereal feel of maybe your river sticks going across the river sticks. I like that. I could see that as this, as the song fades out and as uh, Bill Ward's going ape shit on the drums, if you listen for it, it's great. Uh, there's definitely some keys there that have a mystical quality. That's that's all. Uh, this song has like a special place in my heart. Like, I think when you listen to this album, like from start to finish, it has its ups and downs, but like you started with intensity and then this one, that guitar, it feels like it's like slapped against a wall when it opens. And then it takes this magical journey, which I think is really interesting. You bring up Pink Floyd because this is definitely one of those songs where I'm like, holy shit. Like you guys are definitely hitting some Gilmore over here. Um, whether it be jazz or like bluesy, I think anyways, like I remember being in my twenties and listening to this, like in my truck, driving down I five going to visit down and some friends and like longtime girlfriend had broken up with me. And I was like, it was one of those moments where you're like, Holy shit, I really get this song. And just, uh, it's just so tightly produced, but not overly produced. If that makes sense. Um, and I think that, you know, to everyone, everybody's talking about like Omi and the guitar solo is here. Like he plays around a lot throughout the whole album, but this is the one where I think he finally like broke loose and it fits. Like if he would have done atmospheric previously in this album, it wouldn't have been such a great story. If that makes sense. Um, cause you have some, quite a, you have quite a few good arcs. I feel like in the album. And obviously they positioned each song for, for its reason, whether we like where Lady Evil sits or not. Um, <laughs> but I feel like, you know, great song, but like, I just, I don't know if I'd fit it there, but go back to the lonely is, is the word. I'm like, that is perfect. Like where it sits in this. And like, you know, to your point, they were like, oh yeah, we, we had those keyboards throughout a couple tracks. Let's, let's not forget. 
And I, I do wonder like if when they were in the studio, like if they could have moved those keyboards up, would have, would it have been right? Would it have been wrong? I don't know. Like, I do feel like it, it, it sucks that they tailed him at the very end. I don't think it gave him his justice with the keyboards. Cause they do really, to your point, Steve, add some atmospheric touch to an already atmospheric. Uh, I track. think the reason they're able to get away with having him come in so late is because uh, about three minutes of this song is Tony Iommi just doing wizardry. And, you know, you're like, Hey, let's not take away from the wizardry. So I, I think it's warranted as much as I would like to get more of them though. You know? Yeah. I was just wondering, it's like, I wonder what it would sound like if they push more of them. Cause it's a five minute track. It could have gone over six. It wouldn't have hurt anybody. But um, no, I, th- I think, I think this is definitely one of those silent sleepers. Like, you know, if you're sitting shuffling, I don't know if anybody uses jukeboxes these days anymore, but like it definitely isn't one of the, like the high picked, but I think when, um, if you listen to this album enough, I feel like most people will lean on this song being fitting. Like it, it, it belongs where it sits and it's, I think it's pretty. Uh, despite sequencing of other tracks is in its perfect place. And I've always been a fan of songs. I've been a fan of uh, albums that close with a little bit of ambiguity. Um, yeah. I don't mind it when an album ends with a hard, like boom and that's it. But also when a song drifts into the distance like this, I, I like it as a closing track yeah. and it fits the lyrical content too. I just think that everybody gets together and puts their best foot forward. on putting together how this song should feel all, all four band members. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's great stuff. And uh, Mark, you're our, uh, you're our, our other big Pink Floyd head. And uh, how, how do you feel about Lonely is the word? I think it's a great track. I mean, um, it's so different in the sense of what you've come to expect from Black Sabbath. But, you know, when I say that, I also think about, you know, when Black Sabbath added saxophones on Sabotage, uh, which is a really strong black sabbath record if you kind of think about it in the classical sense of you know pre-ozzy post-ozzy kind of environment but um it's a great closing track it's uh ends kind of on a wistful downbeat kind of situation lyrically um brother i can tell you i i definitely uh uh relate to that i've been higher than stardust i mean this is why we had to close uh or cancel our last night's uh recording session i definitely got a little too close to the sun last night and we had to punt the football down the field shall i say and that was on kind of partially on my behalf um but i like this song quite a bit i mean it's got atmosphere for days you've got keyboards adding that adding that layer of atmosphere you've got this dave gilmore-esque um just soaring guitar solos uh you've got a great vocal performance by ronnie james dio one of the things that this album really doesn't really have is um i mean geezer butler is showing up and doing what he needs to do but i think we had talked about this at the top of the hour um just kind of talking about the fact that geezer was kind of going through his own things and they were having to plug some holes when it comes to the bass playing, but you don't really see a great like representation of both the rhythm section on this record. Um, but that's fine. 
It's just, it's just, it, it's a different feel that uh, you could really get that. Uh, this solidifies essentially that it was an Iomi and Dio uh, situation, and everything else was just kind of plugging up the dam. But I love this as a closing track. I think it's really great. It grows on me every time I listen to it. So lonely is the word, and I've etched it into my brain. Well. I think that Geezer is a great bass player. He's one of the greatest metal bass players. I think the production on this album really does him justice. I think you could really hear him. Um, have I stacked it against all his other performances? I think it's still, it, it's beyond serviceable. It's good, but uh, it's not, you're right. It's not why we're going to this record. This is a, this is the, the Tony and the, the, the Ronnie love affair album. I mean, uh, even to, to the point that Bill Ward left, and, uh, you know, geezer stuck around, but anyhow, uh, yeah, lonely is the word ends in a high note and you're right. It's a different type of, uh, black Sabbath song. Uh, I think that's because Dio's here and also they have a full-time keyboard player and Jeff Nichols and they're just into writing some different kind of songs and they're not, they're not just all up tempo songs. I mean, this is a, a cool bluesy prog epic. It's a fun way to end the record. So that's it. That's heaven and hell. And we are going to rank it uh, one out of five. How many? Look out! Look out! It's never, never, never coming back. Look out! Do you give it, Eric? Ah, yes. Lookouts. Lookouts. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. It's This is one of those where, um, you know, not always my vibe, but when I put it on, I get sucked in, and Dio is certainly uh, quite the magic trick to keep me sucked in. Uh, I Like, my wife would walk in and hear me listen to whatever random Black Sabbath album. She's like, this is not your normal you're kind of normal wavelength and I, you know, but when I, when I'm in it, I'm in it. And as far as them executing something that they were trying to do and my general enjoyability for it, I have to give this album four out of five lookouts. That's a good amount of lookouts. You're the guest tonight. Where do you rank this album? You can do points too. You can do a a two point five or a, a four point seven five if you want. How many lookouts do you give Heaven and Hell? Five being max. Five's max, as high as it goes. I sh- I'd, I'd break five and give it a six. Oh wow! Boom! Never been done. Unprecedented. That's it. He's b- broke the mold, folks. I mean, just just the. Just heaven and hell alone with Neon Nights. I mean, like, if you if you listen to this album, put it on, like, seeing this album live is one thing because of Dio and the performance and all the other members. But then also putting the headphones on and listening to this in entirety. Yeah, you know, there's a couple, like, dips, but it's pretty fucking good. Like, and I think it's, and I, and I give it, I break the five to go to six because to have Black Sabbath on the cover 
and not have Ozzy. And I, my wife and I had a battle about this, Steve, you know, she feels that it's not Sabbath without Ozzy. But when you have majority of the key members that are of Sabbath, the sound, the writers move into this and join with Dio, I don't see why I couldn't carry Black Sabbath. So I feel like, I think going back from when we first started talking, I feel like this is one of those albums, like funny enough, it was an 80, but it took it to another level. And I mean, like a lot of musicians go back to this album and credit it, especially for Heaven and Hell. It just, I mean, Dio does a fucking fantastic job. It's definitely a love affair with him and Iomi, but I will say this is hands down. I never get tired of listening to this album. I love it. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, I said, leave her, divorce her, Rob. He said, Steve, you're being crazy. So you didn't listen to me. That's, that's fair. You shouldn't have listened to me. I was, I was out of line. I just couldn't believe she said such a thing, but that's all right. Love will make you do strange things. Hey, she, she loves, she loves Ozzy, man. And she, I mean, she's a diehard Sabbath fan, but like, it was definitely a funny, it was, a, it was a, it was a good chat, but. All right. That's a, uh, res- uh, just a, resounding yes from Rob Mark. I, I appreciated your comments about Dio earlier. You're a very pragmatic and fair man. How do you feel though about heaven and hell as a whole? I mean, it's uh it's a different black Sabbath. That's for sure. Um, it's uh, definitely a, a clarion call of what's to come as they really do have to figure out their identity after a post Aussie situation. Uh, Tony Iommi really being the main train engineer for this steam train that they're driving through their career. Um, it is nice to see, you know, the uh, ability for them to be able to mend fences. 13, that record that had Ozzy come back was actually surprisingly okay. It wasn't that bad, honestly. It really wasn't. It kind of harkens back to the old classic Ozzy sound versus what we have in the Dio, it's like we have got two parallel train tracks that are happening within the same Black Sabbath entity. Having I'd say said with that, uh, I'd say with thirteen, they they tried to make it sound like even the older, like that the thirteen. Yeah, they specifically wanted to sound like the first three Sabbath albums, but continue. for sure, yes, definitely, you could definitely think that as they got together, uh, they wanted to bring those classic Sabbath purists back into the fold. Um, but having said that, this is a great record. It really is me not being the big, uh, flag wearing, uh, waving guy for Ronnie James Dio. I don't think that he's ridiculous. I just, he's not my type of sensibility, even though he is a great vocalist. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to respect that. It's just for him to be dropped down into black Sabbath and me expecting to hear that classic sound where it is like I had mentioned a little bit more grimy. It's, uh, it, it took me a little harder. It, it took me a bit to square that circle. Um, but having said that, I give this record a 4.3. I think there's only really two songs on here that, um, eh, I think there's only one song on here that I wasn't fond of. And that was lady evil. Uh, but everything else I thought was really strong. Um, both songwriting, everything, uh, lyrically, once I got it, I got it. And that's why it took me a couple listens to really get into the fold on this one. But once I was there, it helped me then gain more respect for mob rules 
I dehumanizer. As soon as I heard that one off the, the jump, I thought that was a great record. And even their heaven and hell record that they did, um, as that title of the band, uh, I thought it was pretty strong as well. So yeah, 4.3. Fantastic. I, uh, yeah, I love, I love everything about this album. I love the sound of it. I love the history of it. I love, and I brought it up earlier. It is just great. We can never, it's just so amazing that, you know, Ozzy left black Sabbath and instead of it just all falling apart, Ozzy went on to have a great solo career with many just defining songs. I mean, come on, crazy train right from the jump that Mr. Crowley in the same album. What are you doing? And that album comes out the same time as this one. And this one's as good as it is. And uh, it's just so great that we got like all these gifts of these different versions of the Sabbath sound that, you know, came from the original black Sabbath. Um, as far as this album goes, obviously I love it and it gets a 4.75. Why does it not get the five? I'll tell you why. Not because there's a couple tracks on here that I, uh, they're not my favorite. I don't mind any of the songs and the high highs of this album, including the title track alone, justify the whole album's existence. The title track alone. I mean, maybe that gets a five out of five. The only reason I give it a 4.75 is because it's not my favorite Sabbath album. It's not even my favorite Dio Sabbath album. It's not mob rules, which I find to be the superior 5.5 album, but that's a story for another day. So, thank you, gentlemen, for joining me tonight and covering Heaven and Hell. Rob, appreciate your time. It was great to have you on the show. And uh, oh, next course. season, I promise you that we'll do a Motorhead album. I, we'll get it done. I know you're, you're waiting. Um, <laughs> until then, Eric, what's next? All right. Mark, you got the list up? Ready to go. What's our highest number we can roll? 13. All right. Ooh. Topical. <laughs> it's well, gonna be garbage literally the band garbage <laughs> it is a one a one a wow yeah. that is uh one of eric's picks uh by velvet underground the record is loaded released wow. november 15th 1970 they're doomy and slow in their old own way that's fun well, there you go. We got a little, well, we're going to stay in the classic in the classic realms. All right. Yep. Cool. We're going to slow things, slow things down even more. Maybe do some uh, opiates. It's going to be <laughs> quite a time. <laughs> I know. I really have to stand on that street corner waiting for my man. If you get what I'm saying. All right, gentlemen. Well, this has been a great talk. I appreciate the good discussion about a very well-rounded album. Rob, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Rob. I really do like it when we bring in uh, special guests. So thank you for bringing your insight and your expertise in this genre and this band. Yes, it is you. really appreciated. Thank you for thank your you. service. It was a good chat. Absolutely. So as always, this has been Mark. And for Stephen and Eric, we hope that we brought you closer to Sabbath.
Closer to Rob. Closer to Rob. Yes. There it is. Just to t-